Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It is truly the... <laughs> Thor, can you stop? I'm going to put you in jail. Straight to jail. kids, and welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid-Sikich. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And please, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. Welcome to season four. I am stoked beyond all belief to be bringing you some very exciting things this season. So the plan for the year is that in each episode, we will cover a single poem, but listen to two different settings of that poem, sort of like a compare and contrast type situation. Let's get to it. Today, we are covering a poem by Heinrich Heine. Ich stand in dunklen Träumen. And we will be hearing from our guest vocalist Naomi Mira Whitson after a short synopsis of the songs. Appalling though it may be to admit, we've not actually discussed the great poet Heinrich Heine in great depth during any episode of the podcast, which is just wild considering how important he is in the world of leader. Today's going to be no different, however. We are actually going to save a deep dive on Heine for an episode later this year, as we will be hearing another text of his. Two, actually. So, just keep that in mind. What you do need to know for today is this. Heine tried very hard to distance himself and his style from the romanticism of his time. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Heine's years were 1797 through 1856. Heine, unlucky in love, wrote often with a biting irony and a sardonic tone. So often, the poem cannot be taken at face value. The subtext is such that many of his poems have a shadow side to them. Indeed, the shadow is often the point. This comes into play during the course of our discussion today, so put a little pin in that for later. Let's read a translation of the text, Ich stand in dunklen Träumen, and then we will talk about Schubert's setting.
I stood in dark dreams, staring at her image, and the beloved face secretly came to life. Around her lips, a wondrous smile moved. Her eyes gleamed as if with sorrow's tears. Also, my tears flow down my cheeks, and ah, uh, I cannot believe that I have lost you. Ich stand in dunklen Träumen comes from Heine's Buch der Lieder that was published in October of 1827. So, not a ton of time for Schubert to run across it and write this song, but as we've heard before, Schubert often did not need much time in order to produce a masterpiece of the highest caliber when properly inspired. And properly inspired he was. The song begins simply. Unison B flats. Where the song will go from here is anyone's guess. Yet, right away, something is odd. Why so simple? Why so sparing? This is all we hear before the voice comes in. Not much there, right? It is perhaps clear that the speaker is alone, as portrayed by the unison vocal and piano part. Yet we are unsettled as we are aware of the speaker looking at an image of someone in the dark. So in retrospect, we might understand that perhaps the unison B-flats that started the song could represent the eyes staring through the darkness. And perhaps we are witnessing someone as they stir from their slumber. The speaker has obviously seen the image of their beloved, but is it a real physical image? such as a painting or drawing, or perhaps in more modern times, a photograph or a phone screen? Or was this an image that they saw in their dreams? And in the darkness, the B-flats represent them trying to pierce the blackness of the veil to conjure the image of their beloved once more. How many times have you woken from a dream wishing beyond measure to see in flesh and blood the image the dream so cruelly taunted you with before ending. A short piano interlude once more plays the double-dotted rhythm we just heard, searching, searching, searching the darkness. Until... What's this? The image seems to come to life.
hear a long sustained note, a B flat actually, in the accompaniment, and then moving parts as that B flat holds that portray the smile playing about the mouth. we've disassociated. The B-flat previously established us in B-flat minor, yet here, as the speaker imagines a smile playing about their beloved's lips, the B-flat is now the major third in the key of G-flat major. I find this point super interesting. The tonic of the key of doom and gloom has been transfigured into the happy mediant of a distant and fanciful major key. What an eloquent way to musically wish for reality to be other than it is. And then this commentary from the piano. Listen to that again following the vocal part. provocative to me, almost like a ha-ha, the universe observing how silly and foolish it is to believe in this hallucination of a smile. Then the speaker says that they notice the eyes of their beloved glistening as if with sorrow's tears. But then this figure again. Und now we might think the image is toying with the speaker, that perhaps our poor protagonist cannot be faulted for such a desperate wish. This provocative figure continues in a short piano interlude. However, it is warped and morphed in a way that brings us back to the present moment. Our brief disassociation into the key of G-flat major is cruelly ended, bringing us low again to the present reality. The protagonist acknowledges, Yes, also my tears are flowing down my cheeks, for ah, I cannot believe I have lost you. And what happens in the next ten measures is nothing short of jaw-dropping. The horror we've felt ourselves holding back suddenly breaks upon us and a surge of emotion erupts forth.
As the song finishes, I feel I'm always left with some questions. This image, is it real or imagined? Why, when the image seems to come to life, does it smile? The protagonist is experiencing a literal dark night of the soul steeped in anxiety and horror, yet the image smiles? Is it a mocking smile? Or perhaps a failed attempt at comfort? The protagonist's mind could subconsciously be projecting either possibility. One of my favorite things to do in <laughs> when I'm coaching these songs is to just ask a lot of questions and maybe not necessarily have all the answers. And uh, that's where we're going to leave it with the Schubert today. I know you are just dying to hear it in its entirety, but first, we need to hear from Clara Schumann. So, obviously, we are dealing with the same text, but as set by Clara, it creates a much different experience. The introduction begins, and we hear a luscious E-flat major with a poignant and heartfelt melody. that little turn at the end of the right hand, it reminds me of the smile that I know is going to play upon the lips of the beloved's image. The vocal line begins and blends in beautifully with what has already been set before us. note here, though. There is no hint of the dark dreaming that the text speaks about. It feels to be in a completely opposite universe than that of the Schubert, right? It seems that the dark dreams here have not been acknowledged, and I suppose I wonder at this a bit. Why did Clara choose to ignore that line in her setting? The only way, as a performer, that I can make sense of this is if I imagine someone perhaps daydreaming sleepily, reveling in a happy moment in the past, one in which they looked upon the face of their beloved. Maybe we're in a quiet room, the shades are pulled down, and sleep is imminent. As the protagonist drifts off, the memory descends upon them. Then, a sense of urgency followed by surprise, as the face of their beloved seems to become animated with life. A secret desire made manifest. A bit of chromaticism as the image shows us the tears of sorrow that glisten in the eyes. And then, 
my favorite part of the song. The admission that, ah, I cannot believe I have lost you. What fate that the universe would deem to separate one beloved from another. love this. It feels so genuine, so earnest, a heartfelt admission of pain, of deep and everlasting loss. And as the piano plays us out, we hear once again the smile. But this time, I think, it plays upon our own lips as we remember a sweet love that has been lost to us. For after all, it is better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Okay, so you're going to hate me because we are still not quite ready to hear the songs in their entirety. Uh, because first, I wanted to bring you a little bit of the discussion I had with soprano Naomi Mirror Whitson about the songs and our process and our thoughts about collaborating on them. So um, here's that discussion now. Naomi Mirror-Whitson, you are here with us today on Follow the Leader. Thank you so much for taking time out of this Sunday to join us and just nerd out a little bit over some music. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of course, we're here today to discuss two songs that are very near and dear to my heart, um, as set by both Schubert in Ihr Bild from Schwanengesang, and as mm -hmm. set by Clara Schumann um, in her set of Sechs Lieder. So we've previously worked um, on duo recordings for this podcast, Long Distance, and that's what we did for these two songs that we're presenting today. And I was wondering if you might share with us uh, your experience working on these songs in that way, because it is a little unorthodox. It's really different, but really fun. Um, because it's kind of cool. Normally, you know, you come together and you figure things out together. This is really different in that you still come together to create it, but you have to come from it and go, okay, so I hear that Mandy did this here. What do I think? How do I play with that in my own use of the text? Why do I think she did that? What am I thinking of? And I actually, I, you know this, but I texted you and was like, hey, is there anything in particular you want me to emphasize in the text, in my interpretation? And so we had that discussion beforehand so that I could kind of go in in my practice time and work on that. So that's always really cool. Um, and again, just being able to listen to your playing, which I love over and over and over again and kind of go okay 
How does this affect my interpretation of the text? I really appreciated that with the Schubert, but we had worked, you and I had worked together on the Clara Schumann. Yes. So I was wondering what that process was like for you as you prepared to record it for this podcast. And then, yeah, indeed, even the, the recording itself, what was, what was that like and how did that kind of inform your um, experience? So I hadn't, Worked on that piece in a while, <laughs> so since since you and I had performed it, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so coming back to it was really fun, but listening to what you had played kind of brought me back to what we had done in performance. So kind of playing with those things was a lot of fun um, for me to come back and go, oh yes, this really makes sense and it fits. God, I gotta say, this Schubert song, Ear Built, it gives me the absolute shivers every yes. time I hear it, every mm -hmm. time I sing it. It is so economic. Yes. What Schubert is able to convey in so few notes to me is absolutely astounding. I don't know, with the exception of maybe uh, Der Leiermann from That's Winterizer. what I was going to say. Yes. It reminds me of that one so much. Sorry. No, that's what I love. That's what I love about the, the back and yes. forth on this podcast. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> to reinforce what I am saying. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> yes. Um, but just the effect of having such an incredibly strong emotional reaction to so few notes. That's what really draws me to this piece. Okay, I'm terrible at the piano and I sat <laughs> and I actually played it because oh, I was able did. to, okay. which is kind of fun. Um, and I definitely can't do that with the Clara Schumann. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I sat and I played it, especially the, um, the bass part. Which to me is just, it's so few notes and it is so powerful mm -hmm. in how it's written. And that's what I love so much about this this take yes. on the text. I was actually, can I, am I allowed to do a comparison? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, so I was looking at it today and going, what is the real, I mean, they're extremely different, right? But what's, what's the big thing that I sense? And I went through and I was like, okay, so it's, loss it's grief and i realized it feels like it's two very distinct stages of grief that mm. are happening mm. so the schubert to me is a much earlier stage of grief it's through the mm. anger mm -hmm. almost mm -hmm. um it's the beginning it's the shock and the anger that you start at least for me mm -hmm. that i start really feeling especially as it builds mm. to the end whereas the schumann feels so much she's She's settled in her grief. Mm -hmm. She's still grieving mm -hmm. because grief never goes away. Mm -hmm. But she has accepted mm -hmm. that this person is gone. And to me, I feel that much more strongly in the Clara Schumann setting than I do in the Schubert, which is just much more angular in some ways and very angry yeah. to me, at least. Yeah. It's so angry in how it's just bum bum, bum bum, bum bum, but lost angry, whereas the other one feels a little more settled, especially towards the end. You know what? Okay, and this is why I love having people on the podcast to talk about these things, because I never thought about it in those terms, but you are so right. The the Schubert to me has always had this feel of like a horror film a bit. I, I see it a, a little bit cinematically where the camera, we can see something kind of in the dark 
but we're not maybe sure exactly what we see. And then it's just these like pinpricks of light. And we realize mm. we're observing someone, someone see like a pair of eyes, right? Almost as if they might be seeing themselves in a mirror, but then we, we notice that, oh, they're actually looking at something something else someone else there's mm. someone else staring back at them and it has this kind of horror sense to me i've just always thought of it yeah. as like this neo-gothic kind of horror scene that plays out a bit cinematically and it takes us a while to gain our footing to gain a sense of where we are of what's happening oh there's someone here they're observing something they're in the dark and then we realize there's an emotional impact and we really get hit with it in the chest. And that's what I love about the, the Schubert setting is that the emotion doesn't really hit us, right? And it's, it's a slow build until the end, kind of the way a horror film can play out where you're sitting right. on the edge of your seat the whole time. And, oh, like, this isn't really comfortable. Sometimes those dotted rhythms, they're not quite so comfortable. And, no. and I think partially, as you were describing it being a little bit more challenging of, um, of a duo to work on, it took you five recordings. I think that that is also the case with this one in real life. In my own experience, playing it in person, you know, with your duo partner, it can also have a bit of a challenging collaborative um, element to it because there's a lot of empty spaces where not much happens and then suddenly kind of moves and goes on. So there's a bit of discomfort there throughout, I think, which is completely different, you're right, than the Clara Schumann where we have kind of settled and it's almost this remembrance of what we've lost. It almost feels kind of nice now to remember. It's still sad, it still hurts, but the key of E flat feels very nice. It's, it's nice in the fingers, it's nice to the ears. And we have this beautiful impression of these memories. And even though we can't believe that we have lost this person, I think we're, we end up, at the end, I feel a little bit more lifted up above, right? Like I've been lifted emotionally, whereas at the end of the Schubert, I feel like I've been emotionally devastated and brought to my lowest point. <laughs> I, I love the horror film idea too. And it's the shock of remembering the loss. Yeah. It took me a while to really, I, I had trouble really getting into it and figuring out what the emotion was. And mm. I think it's because the character has trouble figuring out where they are. Yeah. and what their emotion is and it's that build to finally having an understanding where they were yeah 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 oh that's such good stuff do you have a favorite a favorite part within either song i'll be honest the uh those dotted can you remind me what dotted they are oh yeah um hang on let me pull it up <laughs> let me pull it up really fast they're double dotted quarter notes yes Followed by the, 16th notes, yeah. The double dotted quarter notes leading into the 16th notes in the piano part especially, mm -hmm. when it's the piano solo. I don't know why, it's just my favorite part. I find it so haunting. Mm -hmm. I played those over and over again when I was practicing. I would just sit and, and play with them and just, you know, try different ways of, of um, phrasing them yeah. myself. You know, they're interesting because Schubert doesn't write double dotted rhythms like this very often. I tried really hard to make sure that I was being as 
precise as possible without feeling like like a machine or robotic. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to still have an aliveness, like the the effect of coming from something that was alive, yet being so unlifelike in its precision. Yes. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I agree with you about those those double dotted those double dotted figures because they are just so strange. Another thing, as a singer, that I had a really hard time with was trying to get it legato. Yeah. Because it's so bum 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 bum, but it feels like it needs to be connected. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's almost March-like. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get the right balance between making it so that it's exact yeah. and really double-dotted and really mm-hmm. in your face. So those to me always represent like a little shudder. That, yes. you know, this scene that we're seeing, whether we're experiencing or watching it, either way, mm-hmm. uh, it's it causes a shudder. But, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the, the word march because there is some element of it to me that does feel... Um, it does feel slightly march-like because it's almost like the inevitable march of time taking from us, whether through the end of a relationship, the end of a love, or the death of someone. Like, this thing moves on, and it's kind of why I don't like to give too much... mm, I don't play with the timing too much. I don't do too much give and take with the Schubert because it feels like it needs to be a little bit more... acknowledging of that March-like aspect of time that doesn't stop, keeps going regardless of how we feel or what we need, what time we need to take in order to figure out how we feel. We're, we're not given it. It just, time just happens. And then, yeah, I like how you, I think you said the word explode, like the explosion or the wall of a that just hits. And that really is how grief is, right? You're just like plodding right. along like, okay, guess I got to live today. Guess I got to do this. Guess I have to just be okay and function and then suddenly you get slammed by a wall and there's no option but to go along with it and the schubert really captures that i love how it starts with just the two so in each hand you play a b flat right one b flat in the right hand one b flat in the left hand at the same time in unison we're playing these b flats and then we play them again as if mm-hmm. we didn't get it the first time. <laughs> you know, like, no, we're looking at this. This is what we're looking at. Again, right. a very, very strange, very economical um, introduction. I mean, that those are just, we're just playing B flat here for two measures, folks. And yet somehow we can sense that something is very strange, very off. How does Schubert do that? I don't know. <laughs> but I love what Graham Johnson says too, or maybe he's referring to long leader tradition that those represent the eyes staring, right? That uh, on the page, they kind of look like eyes as well. And musically, when you hear them, it seems like you could just see two eyes piercing through, uh, which again is like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Haunting. Yeah, it is. Very different than the Clara, right? Where we just have this beautiful E flat and then it moves to this like chromatic, I don't know, just reminiscence. Um, 
very hers different. is almost a little sexy in the chromaticism <laughs> yeah, you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's very different feeling it's da, 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 you know <laughs> totally. it's got some just like that i hope you include that um <laughs> no need so, to play it on piano anymore folks you can just hire naomi to sing your accompaniment i will sing it for you you're welcome <laughs> um so, <laughs> um, it's, it's almost a little sexy in, in terms of just, I mean, it's not, it's, it doesn't feel really sexy, but just the chromaticism is a well, little unexpected. I think it's, um, it's sensual in the fact that it's sen- like sensory, right? That we can, yes. we can feel it in our bodies. I can almost feel it on my skin and it doesn't have to be sensual in a sexual way, but sensual such that I'm aware of the fullness of feeling it. We, ha- we can't forget Heine in all of this, really. Right, right, right. And that's, I think, one of the biggest differences between the Schumann and the Schubert, right? That Schubert really, I think, kind of gets a little bit more to the heart of perhaps Heine's irony and his um, sardonic qualities. Um and the fact that he might be a bit, that, I don't know, he kind of ha- brings this horror aspect along with him, I think, that Schubert tapped into really well. Whereas I think the the Schumann setting is just more lo- in earnest. In earnest yes. in a way that I think Heine usually wasn't. So very, two very different takes on this same poem. If I'm being 100% honest, I s- slightly prefer the Schubert. Mm-hmm. I think for that reason, mm-hmm. I think because of the second layer yes. of that I feel is somewhat missing yeah. in the Schumann where you kind of, it's so earnest and so thoughtful, but it's missing the depth yeah. of grief mm-hmm. in yeah. some ways that I feel you really get to see in the starkness leading into the like sudden rush of emotion Mm -hmm. i would love to actually do this in person with you sometimes because you are such a superb actress and i think that was also why i was really excited to have you um work i mean we had done the schumann before but i was excited to have you sing the schubert because i knew i just know your um acting capabilities as well and i could really imagine as i was recording my part (laughs) i just could imagine how much more gravitas it was so easy to picture you there because you have such an energy about you when you perform and when we've worked together. And so yeah, I was I was really stoked. All that to say, I was, I was really stoked. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And now Schubert's Ear Built from Schwanengesang as performed by Naomi Mirrorwitzen and myself, followed by Clara Schumann's setting of the same text.
Okay, kids, I think that's it for today. I can't thank you enough for listening, and I hope you'll tune in as we do more compare and contrasts throughout the year. If you haven't had enough of either Schubert's setting or Clara Schumann's setting of Heine's text today, then you might want to try singing them with me. I've recorded the accompaniments for you to sing along with. You can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Just click on the Leader Accompaniments playlist, scroll till you find the songs, and start singing. I'll also include links to the songs in the show notes. 
Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It is truly the best way you can support the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.